Welcome back to this week, commencing Monday the 20th of July, and welcome to the Registry R Roundup. We are back with all the news and views from the trade repository space with your top trade repository team. Yes, joining us in the virtual studio, we have a smaller crew this week. It's holiday time. It's holiday time. And so the voice of reason, Nicholas Bruce, head of business development, he's away this week. I can't believe they actually let him out on holiday. That doesn't seem right. He's gone. He's gone. And also uh, John Kernan, um, Dr. Evil of Brexit himself, he is also away on holiday this week. So joining us in the virtual studio, we've got the A-team. We've got the hardcore. We've got the ones who don't... We don't take holidays at the roundup. And that's why I'm going to introduce, first of all, this is why, everybody, she is the nicest and most efficient person in the organisation. It's Barbara Ruiz Alonso, Head of Client Services. Hello, Andrew. Hello, everyone. And also joining us this week as well, hardcore again, coming at, dialing in from Spain, uh, and someone who has, you know, one of the most important jobs in the entire organisation, of course, it's Lara Rodriguez, who is our institutional relations manager. Hey, Lara. Hi, Andrew. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back. And of course, with the head of client services and institutional relations here, there can only be one topic that we are talking about this week. Yes, it's SFTR. How was it for you? How was your SFTR first week? We want to know. Um, do leave comments in the uh, box here on LinkedIn. Let us know how you got on with that. And we're going to be looking at everything from the client side, from Barbara. And we're going to be looking at everything from the regulator side and what the word is uh, in the corridors of power with Laura. Uh, and we're actually, I'm going to start with Laura because this is a financial services podcast and anything could happen in the next 20 minutes. So we need to have a disclaimer. But as you know, this season of the Registry Roundup, we're making it more fun. So Laura uh, Rodriguez, uh, Institutional Relations Manager, she is going to read the disclaimer live. And uh, the soundtrack this week is supplied by none other than the Doctor Evil of Brexit himself, John Kernan, who is playing an acoustic version of Landslide by Fleetwood Mac. This podcast is sponsored by Registiar and features members of the Registiar team offering their personal opinions. It is not intended to be taken as any form of legal tax or other professional advice, and there is no representation made as to the accuracy or completeness of the information, nor does it necessarily reflect the opinions of Registiar as an organization. Fantastic. You set a really high bar. You've set a really high bar. (laughs) Now, um, because uh, John Kernan isn't here, uh, Dr. Evil of Brexit, uh, I I suppose he gets a holiday sometimes. I suppose. Uh, he's given me um, his uh, Brexit roundup to read this week. So I will be this week's Dr. Evil. But before we do that, we've actually got a little bit of news about uh, John, who's head of product in Europe and was the acting chief operations officer for Registrar in the UK. And to give us the update, it's none other than Laura Gibson, who co-produces the roundup and is also um, working on the marketing side of Registrar. And she has got this press release. Registiar UK, the UK company within the European Trade Repositories franchise, has appointed John Kernan to the board of directors. He will also assume the role of CEO. John Kernan has already been acting chief operating officer for Registiar UK since April 2019 and a member of the executive management of Registiar since January 2014. He will retain his mandate for business product management and business development for Registiar. 
Phil Brown, chairman of the board of directors of both Registrar companies, commented, I welcome John to the board of directors and to the new role. He has a long track record of leadership for Registrar across a number of different mandates and is one of our most senior executive contacts for our clients and partners. His skills and experience will be integral to the success of Registrar UK in a time of increased market need due to fewer available providers. Okay, there you go. Now, you know, it seems odd that he's not here for us to then, you know, uh, tease, pop open the champagne and tease him. We don't actually get champagne. It's We're a regulated entity. It's just, it's sparkling water uh, there, just so you know, just so you know, just please don't write in. Uh, so, John, congratulations, CEO of Registrar in the UK. That's exciting. That means that we'll all have more reason to hang out together at the UK offices at Canary Wharf uh, when we are all back and fully operational. So that's very exciting for our live show. And congratulations, John. Okay, then. Moving Good, on. But, uh, Andrew, Andrew, I think uh, Laura mentioned before that there's a new position in ESMA, which is open, and he... He now, you know, he missed his opportunity to uh, to apply for this new, new position because, of course, it is more important that he uh, holds the this position as CEO of the UK. Now so the, that that's that's a pity. But maybe you you want to you can try and and hand over your CV, no? Okay, now, now Lara, can you tell us more about this? What is the position that's going in Europe now? Uh, well, uh, Stephen Mayer, who is uh, currently the chair of ESMA, um, he's been in this position for 10 years and he's uh, ending at this uh, time in March two th- 2021. So, uh, of course, now ESMA is looking for a new chair uh, for the for this organization. So, of course, as, as Barbara you suggested, Andrew, I see you more than ready for this. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I will be polishing up my CV and sending it in. Presumably, Esma needs a podcast as well. Um, exactly. Clearly, I think more podcasting, I think less financial expertise is also going to help a lot uh, at uh, Europe's market regulator. Uh, I could just go in there. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? Oh, wait, no, every- everything, actually. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So you know what? No. I'll, I'll, if I apply for that job and then destroy the uh, global economy, uh, I, I probably feel <laughs> feel a bit bad about myself. Um, okay. Good. But I tell you what. I can't. Talking of destroying the global economy, um, uh, let's dive in with our Brexit update and see what has happened in the wonderful world of Brexit this week. Okay. I, I'm not going to pretend I'll do as good a job as John, but I'm going to try. Okay. So. Brexit's EU chief negotiator, Michel Barnier, and his British counterpart, David Frost, met this week in Brussels to continue negotiations on the future EU-UK partnership. While the aim was to overcome their significant differences on key sticking points, no tangible progress has yet been made. Following this series of informal talks, both parties will lead a comprehensive round of negotiations next week in London. Also, ESMA has urged market participants to continue preparations for the end of the transition period, and regulators and institutions see little hope for an EU-UK agreement. Yes, on the 17th of July 2020, uh, European Securities and Markets Authority, ESMA, urged financial market participants to finalise their contingency measures before the end of the transition period. ESMA also confirms that the Memorandum of Understanding on Cooperation and Information Exchange concluded with the FCA remained valid and will enter into force at the end of the transitional period. In the meantime, regulators and institutions are warning that the prospects for the EU and UK to agree on a comprehensive trade agreement before the end of this year are dwindling. While German financial regulator Baffin uh, said that the national and EU authorities should prepare for a no-deal 2.0, 
Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey also stressed that UK bankers should be prepared for a no-deal scenario. And finally, the UK government has published border operating models. So the UK is going to spend £705 million on EU border infrastructure. On the 13th of July, the UK government published its operating model, outlining the processes for the movement of goods between the UK and the EU from the 1st of January 2021, including processes to be introduced in April and July 2021 to implement the new border controls. The document contains technical details of how the border with the EU will function after the transition period and what actions businesses will need to take. As part of these preparations, Cabinet Secretary Michael Gove announced that the UK would spend £705 million on border infrastructure, jobs and technology to ensure the UK border systems are fully operational. The package covers only the external borders of England, Scotland and Wales. More detailed guidance for UK businesses transporting goods to, from or through Northern Ireland will be available in due course. And that's our Brexit update. I'll be honest with you, John, we're missing you. You make it sound easy. So, Barbara, over to you. How was it for the clients this last week? How's it gone? It was it was actually good. I think, uh, Andrew, uh, participants were, to my personal, uh, in my in my view, they were more ready than what it was expected. To be honest, we at the client service desk, one of the things we normally look at are the rejection rates because this is very significant to see how good or how bad our clients are doing and we try to you know to support them in, in these regards and and our rejection rates are, very, are are being very very low which is very good and and to me that only confirms that entities have learned from uh, previous experience in emir and, and the previous requirements also that the iso scheme at 2022 gives a uh, little room for interpretation and so once our clients have validated their their files they they actually can see that they are uh, well built you, they only need to cross it against a, a uh, schema validator and then they know their files will be good so our rejections are of course uh, derived from the uh, business rules uh, the validations we keep having some issues with the LEIs, uh, with cross-validations and this stuff. But I insist, like, rejection rates are being very good, so, um, well, are, are being low, which is good. So I would like to congratulate all, all these participants, which did a great effort, uh, because it, it, you really, really can feel it. What we've seen is um, a lower volumes than what we... Uh, might expect uh, and this actually was confirmed with other colleagues in the industry uh, well because of different uh, reasons probably uh, we could say about the backloading which was at the end uh, as my confirmed uh, they were not expecting back, back they were not expecting backloading so the volumes will be we will see them with the time and uh, well potentially also it's uh, just summer time, as you said at the beginning, we already can smell summer, so the volumes are, are also low. Uh, repos uh, are normally, you know, their life cycles are uh, getting over. So, I mean, there's there's several reasons why volumes could be lower, um, but we will see. At the end, for me, the, the, the main message is that entities have done a very good job. Uh, wave 3 is still, uh, I mean, they still have a, a few months to... To work on it but the good thing is that we kicked off uh, and it was pretty good 
All right, good. Now I want to come over to Laura and say, so market participants, they've they found it, everyone was a bit worried that it was all going to go horribly wrong. It's all worked out pretty well from the sound of things. Well, Andrew, for um, those authorities that are already uh, boarded and connected with Registiar, uh, we have received uh, some questions since the reporting start date, but just in terms of uh, confirmations on daily reports, etc. So we can see that those authorities connected, connected are uh, starting to look into the daily reports and the, the data they have received, um, so which is good. Um, it's true that at the beginning of the year, we envisaged to, to have a considerable amount of authorities registered before the reporting start date. Uh, however, uh, probably due to the COVID-19, uh, some of the national competent authorities have had to focus their supervisions on other activities and that is probably one of the possibilities why we have not received such a big number of access requests uh, before the reporting start date but in any case uh, the authorities continue to contact us now to either finalize the registration process uh, because it was kept on hold or to start the process now to receive the data in the upcoming months um, but uh, well from our side the registration process process is working smoothly. So as soon as we receive this access request, we are ready to, to provide the access within 30 days, which is what the regulation states. And um, well, uh, from now on, we will keep uh, answering all the questions from the, from the authorities, the ones that are now connected and have questions on the data, because at the end now they, they want to see um, um, well, how the clients are responded to uh, to this uh, reporting start date and probably to start looking on data quality too, to see that uh, everything is correctly uh, reported. Now, one question, because last week, obviously, we were talking about data quality being a, a major sort of focus now. Uh, we know the Bank of England has sort of uh, begun this working group, uh, really trying to look into improving data quality and understanding more of what we can do with the data. I mean, what's, what questions are you anticipating are going to start coming through once the authorities are sort of happy that SFTR is up and running and, and working? What sort of queries come up about the data? What's the sort of typical sort of thing that, that might sort of come through onto your desk? Well, it's... It would be difficult to say for uh, SFTR because as we are using the ISO messages, um, the information is already very well standardized. It's not like in EMIR that the information that uh, they received, it was uh, mixed with uh, pre-RTS data, so it was complex uh, for them to, to do the traceability of the information. So um, I guess that when they have the, an, an amount of information uh, for SFTR uh, considerable to uh, start working on it, we will see uh, from where the data quality could come. Probably uh, my guess would be reconciliation. Um, uh, yeah, and probably they will start on that because we know that for ESMA and all the authorities, they will focus a lot on, on the reconciliation ratios. Yeah, I, I, I will just say to add on that, uh, my, my experience with, you know, many clients come first to the client service um, seeking for help on, well, my authority, my regulator has requested this uh, information. And at this stage, I will say authorities 
first we want to ensure all the entities are actually reporting so they are delivering the reports on time and they are not missing anything and then as lara said reconciliation will be for sure uh one of the things they will look like at that uh very well and also rejections i would say that that's both uh they want to ensure uh we actually had already uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, a regulator which uh, was um, looking into detail about uh, some volumes and the rejection. So it's important also that participants take care if they receive, you know, a, a high rate of, of rejections that they look at that because authorities I want to ensure everything goes smoothly into the system, of course. Now, last week, Tim Hartley said that actually SFTR has got the, the least tolerance in it uh, for reconciliations. They they have to be very, very uh, closely uh, aligned in order to, to, to actually reconcile. And it keeps coming up. I've heard a lot of people talking about issues to do with the fields like nominal amount. Those those are the things. I know I keep mentioning this, but this is the one where you get the most variance. What what are the what are your sort of clients saying, Barbara? Are they finding that the the tolerances are are proving difficult for them, or does the ISO standard help them fix all of that in the first place? And actually, it's it's fairly minor areas that are sort of consistently causing problems. It is a challenge, uh, indeed. It, I mean, it's not only about the tolerance, it's about the, the time frame to complete with the, the uh, obligation. And many times there are many trades and many difficulties. It, it, it's just also about crossing the different systems and ensuring, uh, especially with, it's always with the clients with very big volumes, uh, that every little, uh, you know, change or, or this um, very de uh, little variations just uh, makes rejections uh, occur. So it is a challenge for sure. And, uh, and of course, the, the, the closer the, um, sorry, how did you say, the tolerances, the closer the tolerances are, uh, the, the more difficult are, are the reconciliation to, to pair. Yeah. Now, Laura, another question for you is obviously one of the big stories uh, from season one, which is still rumbling on, um, was what was going to happen to all the clients from CME Next Abide, because uh, obviously they all needed to get ported over and onboarded with new TRs. Um, what's the what's what does it look like from the regulator side on that? Did they issue guidance in the end? Did they assign people to new TRs? Um, what what happened to the uh, CME Next Abide? Uh, clients? Uh, well, I guess the um, discussions continue between CME and the rest of TRs uh, because because the, the the information that we have is that if uh, CME um, uh, cannot um, locate the different clients to the other TRs, it will be ESMA uh, who will support CME to, to locate these, uh, these clients. Um, we have not much information from the authority side, but we are sure that uh, ESMA is looking into this and at the moment um, they find that um, CME cannot uh, do this uh, uh, location or find the portability uh, for those clients, uh, ESMA will will help them to ensure that uh, they have uh, all these clients, the, the correct or the TR, to, to report. You know, that, that's going to be a challenge because if there's entities that do not uh, complete with the portability on time or do not uh, express their desire to go uh, to one TR or the other, 
that means we will have data which might not be ready to be ported. Like, uh, you know, we need a certain uh, level of quality to be able to port. So I, I'm really, um, I mean, I'm really excited to see how ESMA or, or CME are, are, are going to handle this because, uh, I mean, it could happen. I, I, I'm imagining that TRs are forced to ingest this data with a different quality that we are used to, and that will, of course, be complicated in terms of then uh, getting all that uh, data in the flow of, um, as we were saying, reconciliation, rejections, and all that, because uh, data quality is the best. first thing we need to, to ensure before all the, the life cycle and all the, the flow of the systems work. So that's going to be a, an interesting point, let's see, in November when, when it comes. Was there a, a sort of a, a sigh of relief at ESMA when it all went off and it actually worked? So were they relieved when it kicked, when it all went smoothly? Uh, we don't know, but actually it's true that ESMA has done a, a big effort because it will, it has been also a challenge for them, the, the situation with everybody locked down from their side uh, to they have tried to do um, uh, discussions and roundup with uh, the uh, market participants, with uh, the TRs. Um, and I think that's something that they needed to, to achieve actually. So I think they are happy also that um, from the TR side and, and from the release that they sent the, the day of the start, uh, of the reporting start date, they said that everything has gone well. The first day was good. So I think ESMA is also happy on that on that side. Yeah, no, it, 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 it's, I mean, I would like to highlight that they did a great effort. I need to say, I mean, of course, regulation, new regulations, it's, let's say it, I mean, it's kind of a pain for main most of the counterparties because at the end it's uh, additional workload on their side and I mean it's you know it benefits everyone because you ensure uh, there's a supervision and, and, and we don't get back to you know big crisis so it's in benefit of everyone but it, it's uh, a lot of work for, for many people so I know ESMA from the TR perspective they did a great effort to ensure it, it went smoothly uh, I can confirm from the, the 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 period of the application as TR, they are very strict to ensure all the process is duly completed, that TRs are ready, that we know what we have to do, that we know participants, that we know their needs, and to ensure everyone will be uh, able to comply with the obligation. So I would say, yeah, I mean, we, we are not on their minds, but I'm sure especially with the last months, all these, uh, you know, changes with the ISOs uh, that we, uh, it was, I think, at the end of the year that we still didn't have approved the, the final version. So it, it, everything went very, very fast, and I'm sure they also deserve this summer and this holiday. Good. Well, that's, I think, yes, they've earned their holiday. And you know what? So have Nick and John. I just, I'm just going to throw that in there. I may have said a few things about them earlier, which Change was your mind. unkind. Of course, they've earned their holiday. And I'm just like it noted, though, that while they're on holiday, who's running the ship? Yes, as you guess, it's the nicest, most efficient person in the organization. Uh, Barbara Ruiz Alonso, head of client services. Thank you, Barbara. Thank you, Andrew. And I hope both uh, John and Nick are enjoying their holidays because I will take my holidays as well sometimes. So they will need to cover. <laughs> okay, so before we say goodbye to our institutional relations manager, our uh, super spy on the inside, 
of the Corridors of Power, Laura Rodriguez. Laura, what do you prefer for breakfast? I prefer um, toast with olive oil um, with a coffee. That, yeah. No tomato, no ham? Sometimes I don't have time, so it's easier just to put the oil in the toast. That's that sounds delicious. Because Barbara, I um, I, I I know we we didn't manage to fit it into the edit last week because you like the the pani tomate and the hamon, you know, and the whole. Mm. I like the big breakfast, you know, like everything on it, uh, if possible at the same time. You know, this toast that weighs like a lot that you can you cannot really you need like a fork actually to to eat everything. That's the one I like. Everything like. Eggs, bacon, avocado, whatever, everything, all in. Okay, because of course Tim last week he he went for the avocado. Uh, Seb Malik uh, likes jam. He's a jam man. In the mornings, um, uh, I'm going to keep my uh, breakfast choice actually for the final show, and it can be revealed then. Also, I'm going to try everyone else's <laughs> breakfast as well while I'm at it. I might as well. I'm hungry already. Uh, <laughs> It's, you know what, we've got to stop doing this show near lunchtime, haven't we? That's the thing. Okay, on that front, that is it from this week's roundup. Thank you very much again to Barbara Ruiz Alonso and to uh, Lara Rodriguez. And do join us again next week when hopefully your SFTR week goes as well this week as it did last week. And in the meantime, if you're back in the office, uh, we hope that you know everything is working out fine with your commute and with your office systems and you're getting used to the new normal. And if you're still working from home, remember, reach out on your network, stay connected with people, have a good week, have a safe week. And that's goodbye from the Registry Roundup.